Don't want to work forever? Once you can cover your living expenses with passive income, your day job becomes optional and you reach financial independence. You then have complete control over your time, your money, and your life in general. Spark Rental founders Denny Suplee and Brian Davis, me, are here to help you build rental income, ditch your day job, and do what matters most to you. So on that note, let's jump into today's episode, which, like all of our episodes, was recorded live. Hey guys, Brian Davis here from Spark Rental. Super glad to be with you today. And I am pumped to have John Kasman with us. John is a real estate entrepreneur. He's invested in over $100 million worth of apartment buildings. John hosts the Multifamily Insights Podcast, formerly the Target Market Insights Podcast. He's also the co-creator of the Midwest Real Estate Networking Summit. John, thank you so much for being with us today. Hey, Brian, thank you for having me today. I'm excited to be here and uh, happy to talk to you. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, John, one of the first things that I love to ask people when they come on this show is just how you got into real estate investing in the first place. Everyone has their own unique story to that. Uh, but, you know, most of us started at the same place with not much money and <laughs> not much knowledge. Uh, so, yeah, take us back to the very beginning, how you got into real estate investing. So I've been interested in real estate investing for a long time, right? Like a lot of people interested, but, you know, didn't do anything about that interest. Um, I really didn't know how to get started. So I remember when I was still in college, um, I was just thinking about like how to make money. And a lot of people who you saw who are successful and rich own some real estate. So I was like, okay, real estate, but I had no clue how to get in it, right? Like I, I would grid, um, we had a, a weekly paper. So we had our daily newspaper and then a weekly newspaper just for our, our community. And I would get that and just like circle houses and like, oh, okay, yeah, that house. I didn't, I didn't have the money to invest in these houses. I didn't have a business. I didn't know how to use a hammer. Like, like I had no plan, right? So nothing happened with that. Uh, me just daydreaming essentially is what it was. Um, so it wasn't until I started my corporate career. I was working at General Motors, working in advertising and marketing, where I spent you know 15 years doing advertising and marketing for big brands. And when I was at GM, I was there when we went through bankruptcy and watching the news and my company on the news and my, you know, my boss's bosses on the news. And it just, it just was filled with anxiety and chaos and like, you know, uncertainty. And I just remember like, man, I hate this feeling. There's gotta be another way. Like, how do I get out of this? And there was one guy who was always really happy. And that guy, um, you know, he owns some real estate. So in short, it made me realize, okay, you need to start investing in real estate. Um, I was still in Detroit. So it took me some time to, exit Detroit, moved to Chicago. And once I moved to Chicago, my wife and I started with the house hack. We bought a two unit building, lived in one unit, rented out the other. Um, and then from there, we started we started slowly scaling our portfolio. But as you alluded to, we kept running out of our own money. And eventually we right. learned how to raise money and partner with others and ultimately got into apartment syndication. Well, I, first of all, I love that you guys started with house hacking. I have house hacked myself as is my business partner and she's gotten way more creative with it than i have i mean she's like hosted foreign exchange students and I mean, <laughs> she's rented out storage space she's done all kinds of goofy stuff i just had some housemates and now we we get free housing through my wife's job but house hacking is a fantastic way to start you can use that owner occupied financing with the small down payment the low interest rate uh you know you can ease your way into to real estate investing and get rid of your housing payment and free up all that extra income to invest in real estate so Love house hacking as a, as a way to get into it. So yeah, tell us about how, how did you scale up from, uh, tell us about that, you know, that second, third, fourth property you bought, 
you know, after the house hack and just scaling upward, you know, towards the commercial real estate that you invest in today? Well, I think the first thing was that house hack, it was critical because it did all the things you mentioned, right? Freed us some of the capital, allowed us to reinvest, allowed us to save, but it really gave us some confidence and it made us realize, okay, this real estate thing really does work. It's not just what I've read in the books and heard other people talk about, like I'm seeing it. So it made me want to do more of it. And the next, it was a three unit building where we had saved up money to invest in that. The next, it was an eight unit building. We actually refinanced or put a line of uh, credit on the first property to buy the eight unit building. And at that point okay. we were ready to scale, right? So at that point, everything was working. Like we had brought on a professional management company. So I was, I felt ready to scale, uh, but I didn't know how. And at that point I had to, you know, enlist some help and talk to my friends and colleagues and, and, and mentors. And ultimately I ended up hiring a mentor and that really helped me get the direction of how to put together deals, how to raise money, how to structure them. Uh, and, and ultimately the next deal we did was 192 units. So, uh, and that was, you know, with a lot of partners and, and, and whatnot, but it would not have been possible without kind of the mentorship and kind of the people in my path who kind of helped create that opportunity. Well, I, I absolutely love that you went out and had the humility to get a mentor. That is something that I did not do when I was in my twenties and getting started in real estate investing. You know, I was in that, that like just stereotypical idiot that <laughs> thought, oh, I can do this all myself. You know, like I'm as smart as these guys. And then of course, you know, lost my shirt on those, those first real estate investments because I was, you know, too stupid to go get help <laughs> and get, get guidance from people who had done it before. So I ended up making all those all those mistakes that were totally avoidable. And it sounds like you did manage to avoid most of those mistakes. Most of them. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, obviously there, there's some things that you just have to learn firsthand by getting your hands dirty. Um, but love that you went out, got you know help from people who have been down this road before, you know, avoid some of those, those roadblocks that trip up so many novice or new real estate investors. Uh, that being said, did I hear you correctly that you went from an eight unit, building to straight to an 192 unit building yeah we did and, and you know we were general partners and um you you hear people say that this is a relationship business and i heard that for a long time and i, and I hear it it makes sense oh yeah you need to have brokers you need to have property managers of course but when they say it's a team sport what we're really getting at is that it's pretty much impossible to scale at that level by yourself you have to have people on your team that can help you. And you also have to be willing sometimes to be on a team. I think I spent a year trying to find that deal and lead it by myself. Uh, but organically and naturally, I built relationships. And one of those partners, they came across a deal. And they said, hey, we could use some assistance on a couple of things here. Would you be interested in working with us? And that's when I said yes. And that really opened up the door because being on someone else's team kind of allowed me to grow and scale with things I was doing. Uh, you know, we did a 28 unit deal after that. And then, you know, we did some more of our own deals, but it really helped us to be involved in a large deal in that capacity. And it helped to, again, build the confidence, build the credibility and get us comfortable so that we could continue to scale. And I think that's really important for people just to, to recognize that it's okay to be on a team as opposed to being, you know, a, a solo practitioner on your own deal. Yeah, that makes total sense. Uh, you know, I think some people get into real estate investing because they like the idea of kind of being independent, being a maverick, being a lone wolf. 
but like you said, real estate investing is absolutely a team sport. And the the bigger the playing field that you want to play this sport on, the more you need a team, right? I mean, you know, you you might be able to go out there and you know flip a house or two by yourself, or you know, maybe with you know a little bit of help from contractors and stuff. But if if you want to get into multifamily syndications and commercial real estate. You need a t you need realtors and property managers. You need partners to help you raise capital. You, you need you know many many different contractors. You need such a wide team to do it. Uh, yeah, I, I think a lot of people when they first get into real estate investing don't fully appreciate just how much of a team sport it is. So this 192 unit deal that you did, this this first really big syndication deal that you did. So were you a, a co-sponsor on that deal? Is, did did I understand that correctly? Yeah, yep. Yeah, we're general partners on that deal, kind of co-sponsored with the lead team. Okay, yeah, and that that's a path that I've I've heard a lot of sponsors take. You know, you know, getting started with someone else who's a lead sponsor on a deal. You know, it gives them practice in seeing how the deal is structured. You know, behind the scenes, you know, legally and practically. Uh, you know, get some traction with raising funds, but for a deal that you didn't have to put the entire thing together yourself. Uh, so that makes total sense. Can you give us a little bit of background about, you know, just how that first deal went and you know what you learned from it? And how did that go? Yeah, it did went great. You know, we we hit all of our metrics, uh, great returns for our investors and our partners. Uh, I think the the thing that was interesting is actually, uh, you know, ties into the current uh, climate is, you know, back then we were very concerned with the market, you know, so what was going to happen with interest rates, what was going to happen with this. Uh, and interest rates were, I, I want to say, around five and a half percent at that point. So uh, we locked in long term debt. You know, we locked in seven years debt. And what ended up happening was rates ended up coming down. So we had buyers who wanted to buy the property from us earlier. But because we locked in a seven year loan at you know five and five and a quarter or whatever the interest rate was, uh, the prepayment penalty was actually too severe to absorb uh -huh. the sale in year three and year four. So it, we almost had to hold it for almost five years before we could sell it. I think we sold in year four, but uh, towards the end of year four. But we had to, as opposed to in year two and three, where we had great offers that would have absolutely helped us to exceed our investor expectations. Uh, but that prepayment penalty was big. So I think part of it was the big learning was, again, the deal itself was, was great. And I think we did a great job of due diligence and execution. My lesson was really, you always want to have flexibility. Um, so think about prepayment penalties, think about, um, rate caps, think about, you know, what happens, um, and you want to build in that flexibility. Sometimes, you know, you do it in a way where it is, um, you know, giving you options to refinance. Sometimes we're doing it where you have an option to exit the deal prematurely if the, if the offer comes up. Yeah. You know, the. The more passive real estate syndications that I invest in, the more I appreciate the importance of financing terms uh, and that flexibility that you mentioned. You know, none of us know the future, right? I mean, you know, my crystal ball is no clearer than anyone else's. So what does that mean? It means that you want to deal with as many different outs as possible, right? As many different contingency plans uh, or, you know, escape routes, <laughs> exit strategies as possible. Uh, you know, the longer term the financing is, uh, the the more runway you have to be able to sell in a uh, you know in a better seller's market. Uh, you know, the the less of a prepayment penalty or the you know the shorter that 
period is for a prepayment penalty, the better, like you said, in case a good seller's market comes along. Rate caps, super important as way too many sponsors have discovered the hard way over the last year and a half, two years. Uh, so I, yeah, I, I certainly appreciate that. I, I, you know, speaking of assessing risk and mitigating risk, you know, I want to hear about how you underwrite deals, how you approach deals when it comes to moderating risk. Uh, and then I also want to dig in a little bit about some of the specific risks you see in this market that not enough sponsors are talking about. So we are primarily in the Midwest, right? So I'm based in Cincinnati. We like a two-hour radius around Cincinnati. So think Louisville, Columbus, uh, Indianapolis. Those are some of the key markets we're paying attention to and we're, we're looking at deals in. So for us, cash flow is, is king and it's first and foremost what we're looking for. But we do want appreciation. I think there's this perception that you don't get appreciation in the Midwest. That's not true. You absolutely get appreciation. It's just not at the same extent and maybe some of our West Coast markets or some of our coastal markets, but we absolutely look for appreciation as well. So there's a balance of in-place cash flow, you know, forced uh, appreciation through cash flow and then forced appreciation in general. So we're kind of looking at all of those things together so we can see how do we drive that cash flow? How do we drive that appreciation? Um, and, and that helps us to stay conservative, right? If the property is able to pay its bills, uh, then we can put ourselves in a pretty good position where we have flexibility and we have options. Um, I, I think when I when I, we're looking at deals, we're really taking a look at a couple of different metrics. We're looking at the DSCR. We're looking at the stabilized DSCR. So we want to go in and implement our business plan. Where do we think that that number is going to be? And then what does the demand look like on the back end? You know, what are people buying assets like this for? Um, is it in the path of progress? What is rent growth looking like? We're trying to pay attention to all those different things so we can understand how much control we have. Do we want to stay in this deal short term? Do we want to stay in it long term? Um, how much flexibility do we have? Can we you know, just decide when we're out? Uh, I'll give you one quick quick example is we've got a deal where we have a 12-year loan. So we assumed it with 10 and a half years left on it. You know, it, the rate's fixed. It's, it's under 4%. The rate's at 3.2% for wow. another 10 years. Um, but so if you go back to what I said on that, that first of the 192 unit, the problem was we didn't have options. We were, we were locked in. We had a big prepayment penalty. On this deal, it's an assumable loan. So you can add a supplemental loan to it. So we have options to still sell it whenever we want to because a new buyer could come in. They can add new debt to it. They can leverage it up and find it to make it work for their needs. And because our loan rate is so low, we think most people want to keep that loan in place and then just add a supplemental oh, yeah. loan. Um, again, so we, we can pay down our supplemental if we needed to, right? So uh, we have a lot of options on a deal like that. So we can sell or we can keep it as long as we want to. And that's kind of the position you typically want to be in. Um, you asked about the thing that people are not paying attention to. I would say that we're talking a lot about interest rates and rightfully so. Interest rates are certainly all the buzz. But I think when you take interest rates, you add in the higher cost of insurance, where in some cases it's doubling, if not tripling. You add in, you know, rising taxes, rising, you know, add in uh, overall inflation on expenses. There are a lot of people who are not seeing the returns that they were expected to get on deals they've done over the last couple of years. Um, when you factor all those things in together, so there's going to be a lot of opportunities. But on the same note, when you're looking at these deals moving forward. Um, I think the cap rates are certainly going to expand because it's hard to make these deals work without factoring in all of those different components. So 
Um, that's something that we're, we're seeing more and more of. And I think you, you may see more of that over the next, you know, six to 12 months. Um, so we're just paying attention to that and looking at that for every deal we're, we're, we're uh, evaluating. Yeah, no, that I love your answer. That makes total sense. Um, yeah, I, I've heard some similar horror stories about insur insurance premiums doubling uh, in the course of a single year, just crazy stuff. Uh, so, you know, you mentioned that you invest for cash flow. You also mentioned that ex expenses are rising pretty sharply at the moment in the multifamily space. Do you see rents, uh, you know, rent growth has been slowing over the last year. Are you concerned at all about, you know, that, that cash flow just getting pinched from both sides? you know, slowing rent growth, maybe even a dip in rents combined with those expenses not dipping at all. And if anything, you know, continuing to rise sharply. So how do you, how do you adjust for that when you're underwriting these deals? Uh, I'm not as concerned with it simply because of our investing strategy, I think gives us a little bit more flexibility. So we're typically investing in B-class assets where there's a value add component. Um, so we're not just pushing rents a hundred bucks to see what we can get, right? We're right. typically adding some sort of value where we already know that there's demand in the marketplace for a property to have that. Uh, also in the markets where we're in, for the most part, it's not cost effective to build new product similar to the kind of product we're going to be bringing out there. So we, we haven't had the boom of, say, you know, Phoenix or, or T Dallas, where um, you had a lot of class A stuff built over the last, you know, 10, 15, 20 years. So some of that stuff is class B now in these markets, take Cincinnati. If it was built new, it's a class A. <laughs> like that's just what it was. You're not building a B class property. So in these markets, uh, there's demand where people don't want necessarily want to pay the luxury taxes or the luxury price for things, but they also don't want, you know, a 40 year old outdated product. Either they want a nice apartment. Um, that's affordable that they can live in. Um, what we are seeing, though, is uh, occupancy. We're keeping our eye on occupancy where that is starting to take a slight dip because some people who maybe um, were fine having their own their own apartment a year ago, uh, they're now deciding to move in with the family member or move in with a friend. So we are seeing occupancy start to take a slight dip in, in some of the places across uh, our portfolio. But um, we're not as concerned with the rent growth just because I think demand is still fairly strong. Um, and our product is fairly unique because there's just, again, you, you can't really build it. So, and, and I think too, with renovation costs, um, it, it's sometimes hard to, to duplicate that. So, uh, we feel pretty good with it. Uh, you know, it's not to say that we, we're obviously very, we're watching the market at all times, but. Um, I do think that we're in a, a nice spot in our markets because um, it's just hard to find, you know, updated, renovated B-class apartments that are relatively affordable. So, yeah, no, that makes total sense. I mean, in our our co-investing club, we invested a few months ago in a property in the Midwest where, you know, between the acquisition costs and the renovation costs, it was going to cost around one hundred and five thousand dollars per unit, uh, but to build a comparable property would have cost $200,000 a unit. So, you know, you, you just, you, you have so much protection there that you're probably going to be okay, even, you know, regardless of what happens in the market. Right. And to me, that's, that's the kind of thing that I want to look for uh, as we 
continue through this very uncertain real estate market. Uh, no one knows if we're going to have a recession, when it will come, how long interest rates will stay elevated, how high cap rates will get. No one knows any of that stuff. Uh, but you know, again, if you find ways to just protect yourself uh, with enough leeway there, uh, like what you guys are doing, then you know you're probably going to be able to just weather those ups and downs in the market. Uh, so. Limited partners, passive investors can invest money with you, including non-accredited investors, which we certainly appreciate. In our co-investing club, that is really important to us. We will only propose deals and do deals in our investment club that allow everybody, you know, non-accredited investors included. Uh, that inclusivity is really important to us. Um, I also understand that you guys train sponsors, train people to go out and become syndicators themselves. So tell us a little bit about how that works, what you guys are doing, you know, yeah, what are you doing there? Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's interesting. Like, I, I don't necessarily think of it as training people to become syndicators, but I guess technically that is what we're doing. Uh, the way I see it is we help people invest in multifamily. And, and I love the way you talked about you know, opening the doors for both accredited and non-accredited investors, because I think it's really important for people to have an opportunity to invest in an asset class that can, you know, really accelerate their wealth and their their wealth growing potential. Um, and it shouldn't be exclusive to, you know, those folks who have already made made it uh, to an extent, right? If you've got the knowledge and the, the funds, um, you know, there's a great pathway for you to invest. So for us, what we try to focus on is helping people in one of two ways investing alongside of us in these deals or teaching people how to invest in multifamily apartments themselves. And that could be everything from, you know, smaller multifamily deals like the eight unit building we had, the 28 unit building we did a JV partnership on up to a 200 unit apartment community where you're going to syndicate it. So that's really up to the individual as far as how they want to do it. But the reason we like to teach people how to do this is to remove the barriers that can stop people from seeing success. It's also to help them understand that you have a, a purpose, you know, and it's up to you to decide whether or not you want to take on this calling. But when I started raising capital for, for our deals, I had a big aha moment. And when I, when I initially started, it's because I put down $130,000 that I saved for the down payment of a property. I was like, man, I gotta, it's going to take me a year to save up this kind of money again, right? Um, and it's a lot of sacrifice to save that kind of money when you have your, you know, two young children. Um, oh, yeah. and, uh, what I realized when I went through that first deal, I was talking to one of my investors and after he made the commitment, he said, thank you. And it made me stop and think. And I realized that we were really providing a service because while it was my first syndication deal i'd certainly had some some knowledge and experience in the smaller deals i was doing but this person trusted me right and that's what they were looking for was someone they could believe in and trust to help them get into real estate and that's what i was able to do for that individual and when they said thank you it 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 kind of made me realize that this is a service right it's a service-based industry that we're providing we are helping people you know, diversify their income. We're helping people get cash flow. We're helping people get the appreciation that real estate can offer without the headaches or the knowledge or the expertise that you need to be a landlord. So you can invest passively in these deals, even if you haven't taken, you know, hours and hours and days and weeks of real estate investing courses and books and podcasts right. and all that other stuff, right? So that's really important for me. And I think it's a calling for everyone listening. If you're getting this knowledge, if you're investing in real estate, 
if you want to be active, treat it as a calling, you know, help those people in your circle, right? Don't just make your money and, and keep it to yourself. You're not responsible for someone else making money, right? I know some people say, well, I don't want to do it because, you know, if someone loses money, I don't want to feel bad or make them feel like, you know, I, they listen to me and it's my fault. It's not your job to make someone do something, but you should help people become aware that they can do something. And if they want to educate themselves, there are tools, you've got your club, like there's resources available to educate yourself. And then they have to be comfortable with the risks that are involved with investing. But to not tell people or to not educate people on something that has the potential to change their lives, I think it's pretty selfish. And again, I'm not saying you got to be the advocate and go, you know, convince everybody to invest. But I do think it's, 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 if you were my friend and you were, you know, killing it with any investment and you retire early and I'm still working and, you know, grinding away and I'm 62 and you've been living in Hawaii for the last 10 years and you tell me <laughs> it's because you started investing in real estate and you just never shared this with me in the entire time I've known you, I would be really upset with you, right? <laughs> so for me, it's more, hey, here's what I'm doing. If you're really interested, they'll tell you. They'll, I'm not, you don't have to preach it, but if they're really interested, they'll, they'll start asking you questions. So like my best friends invest with me, right? So, and they didn't invest in the first deal, but one of them did. But, you know, as they watched me, they said, hey, man, you were telling me about this. And I didn't quite understand it the last time, but can you tell me more? And that's my point is you should at least share it so people can raise their hand and decide if they want to be a part of it. Well, I love that. Um, and, and that is the philosophy behind our investment club as well. Uh, educating people, inviting them to participate with small amounts rather than the typical 50 or hundred grand, uh, you know, letting people kind of dip their toe in the water, spread small amounts across lots of, uh, different deals, uh, and start on that journey to financial independence, potentially retiring early. So I, I love what you guys are doing. Where can people connect with you if they want to invest with you as a passive investor, a limited partner, or if they want to uh, get some of your, your training that's available for active investing? Yeah, the best thing is go to our website, kasmancapital.com. Uh, we have a, a sample deal package on our website. So whether you want to be passive and just kind of wrap your head around some of the the language, the deal structure, all that technical stuff that comes in these deal packages, you can check that out. If you want to be active and figure out, well, what should I tell people about this deal? Uh, it's a good resource to learn from there. Our podcast is there, Multifamily Insights, and we have some other resources available. So just check out our website, kasmancapital.com. And we'll certainly link to that uh, in the comments and show notes as well. Don, thank you so much for joining us today. This was great. Absolutely. Hey, thank you for having me, Brian. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, if you guys enjoy these conversations that we have, please rate, review the podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts, make a big difference to us. And we will catch you next Tuesday, same time, same place. Have a great week. Did you know we offer a free eight video course on how to reach financial independence with real estate? It's super bingeable with each video around 10 minutes long, but packed with information. Visit sparkrental.com slash learn for instant access. And please don't forget to rate and review our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. Thanks for joining us. And we will catch you on the flip side. <laughs>